This morning's teaching is the God of comfort, or the God of all comfort, if you will. And uh, this particular chapter, a few verses in this chapter, has really significant meaning for me. And uh, when my mom went home to be with the Lord, um, that morning I was on staff at another Calvary Chapel, and uh, I had to counsel someone who had just lost a parent. (laughs) And uh, you're going to see that the God of all comfort comforts us with the comfort we receive, we're able to turn around and give that comfort back to other people, even in the middle of a very difficult situation. And I know that in these times, in these circumstances, Christians are really struggling with, what do I do? What what do I do? Am am I supposed to uh, pick up arms? Am I supposed to... You know, by uh, my uh, AR-15, am I supposed to equip? Am I, you know, it's like, do, do we passively lay down and do nothing? Do we? And, and here's the thing, guys. You need to consider. I, I am not against government. I want you to know I'm not against government. I'm against bad government. And I'm against evil. That, that's, that, that's the key. It's not government. We need government. That government is a good thing when it's done by good people and is done by righteousness. So I don't want to ever give anyone the impression that I'm, I'm anti this or that. But I know that a lot of you, in talking to a lot of you, it's like, okay, now what? You know, what do we do? Do we pull our money out of the bank? <laughs> do we stick it in a sock? Do we put it in um, a credit union? Do we put it in gold? Do we put it in silver? And you know what? There is no right answer. There is no right answer. Because we don't know what tomorrow brings. But we know who brings it. And we have to put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And we have to ask him, Lord, what's next? What do you, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be and remain faithful to my faith in you during the middle of all of this. It's a good time to share Jesus. There's lots of folks that don't know the Lord. And you know, I've been a little convicted lately about sometimes as, uh, in, even in part of the service, and I'm guilty of this, at the end of it we go, you know, Jesus loves you, sometimes maybe not give an altar call. And we can leave the impression that we're all okay. But some of us aren't. We can think that we're secure in Jesus and and maybe we're not. And I think as time goes on, we're going to have to preach the gospel. And that gospel means facing some hard things. And that is that if you don't know Jesus Christ and you haven't given Jesus Christ your heart and he has become your Lord and Savior, you are not saved. That's not a judgment call. That's just a studious call from the word of God. If you are not saved, if we've not put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are going to be separated from God through all of eternity. Now, if that's not hell, I don't know what is. To never be able to face goodness and righteousness and peace and joy. 
So I think that as time goes on, we're going to need to, all of us, even in our homes, go to the neighbor. Try to share Jesus with them. Be kind to people when you're checking out of a, of a line. Pay for the person that's behind you. But we've got to do a little more than that. I mean, if we just say, I want to pay for the person behind me, and we don't tell them Jesus cares about them and share the gospel with them, we've just done a philanthropic deed, right? We've just done a good deed. We've just done something nice for people. Yes, we need to do those things, but we need to try and ask God, God, open the door for my family. Open the door for, to give me a, a, a chance to talk to my family and to not be ashamed of that and not be embarrassed by that or not be scared to do that. Well, they may reject me. Yeah, they rejected Jesus. That's going to happen. Some of that's going to happen. It's not our job to do the conversion. We don't do the closing. We water and we sow. And it's God that does the closing. So I pray for our congregation and our individual lives that God stirs up that desire to see people get saved. That joy that just makes us want to talk about Jesus. Our best friend, our love, the love of our life, our God, our eternal God. That that fire burns deep inside of us. Speaking of comfort, I had this dream last night. And I was fighting someone. And uh, we were in the middle of a fight. And uh, when I was younger, I took some karate lessons. And I was giving this guy a few roundhouse kicks to the face, right? (laughs) I was winning, I thought, until Becky woke me up and I was kicking her. <laughs> so I could use a little comfort <laughs> when I go home today. No, things, things are good. But, I, you know, you live one of those dreams and it's, you're living it out. It's like, it's like going on. You know, my wife says, well, why were you kicking me? I said, I wasn't. I was kicking somebody, somebody else in the dream. All right, let's get back to the study. 2 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2. Again, we got... A few scriptures to cover this morning. A little bit of background again. Paul made three journeys. He made trips. Corinth was not part of the first one. Uh, It was on his second missionary journey that he saw people come to know the Lord. And he established the church there and then he left. And it was approximately three years um, when he received the news that three years after that he received news that there was problems going on in the church. You know, it's funny because you heard the, the term nickels and noses. A lot of churches are concerned about whether or not what you say makes everybody happy. That you go with whatever the, the norm is today to fill the seats, right? But the problem with that is God doesn't really do that in the Word. He he has some things that he says that are pretty hard. Like being separated from him. Like going to hell. Like we should stop doing some of the things maybe that we've been doing and dedicate ourselves to a stronger relationship with him. We get offended by that, don't we? That's why a lot of people don't go to church. I don't want to be, defi- I don't want to be offended. I don't, want to go to, I don't want to go to church just to be offended. Guys, that's why we go to church. That's why we go to church. We need to have what God tells us regardless of whether we think we do or not. You remember when you were 
I don't know, let's just pick an age, 15, and you knew everything. And your parents were as dumb as dirt. They didn't know what was good for you. It wasn't, you weren't living their life. And you hear the phrase, well, maybe it was that way when you were a kid. But they, they grow up a little, don't they? And how many of us are here this morning that would say, you know, I remember my parents say some things, and now I get it. Now that you've lived it, now that you're out there, it's so easy to have all the answers when you're not paying rent. When you're eating somebody else's food. When you don't have to clean up after yourself. And mom's doing the laundry for you. Or maybe dad. It's so easy to have all the answers. And we cannot wait, right, to get out on our own. I can't wait. I'm tired of people telling me what to do. I want to go out and I want to live my own life. I want my own freedom. So you go out, you get an apartment. That's what now? Two grand a month? $1,800, $1,600 a month. That's a lot of money, guys. Prices have gone up. You're going to have less money to be able to even deal with. Then you got your renter's insurance. You got all the other stuff. You got it. Now, you got to have a car, right? And if you're 18, 19, 20, 21, you can't just get a cheap car. You got to get a cool car. And if it's not cool enough, you got to spend another $1,000 on rims and mags, you know, wheels, rims and tires. And the stereo's not going to work right. It's not going to be what you want. You've got to put another $2,000 in a stereo system that makes your car bounce when you're going up and, down, <laughs> up and down the road, right? And all of a sudden, you realize, wow, I can't quit work anymore. Because before that, if you had a job you didn't like, you could just quit. Because mom and dad paying for everything. You just quit. I don't like the job. I'm going to quit. I don't feel like going in this morning, hey, I'm sick, I can't go in. Then you go off with your friends. But now, all of a sudden, you can't do that. You can't do that. Nobody's going to pay it for you. It's yours. And all of a sudden, you know, that, that maturity begins to kick in. Those realities begin to kick in. And we begin to learn and we begin to grow. There's problems in the church. There's problems in the world. There's problems in our families. There's problems in our marriages. And we need the word of God to come along and say, it's because you're doing this wrong. It's because you're not doing this right. These things need to change. And I used to say, you know, if you didn't have the privilege of growing up in the church, you might not have had a mentor of any kind. You might not have had a dad as a mentor. You might not have had a a mom as a mentor. You might not have had any of those things. So you're kind of learning as you grow. How do you learn to mature the correct way? With a worldview or with a biblical view? Most people grow up with that worldview. And they look out after number one. But you know what I found after raising three sons in the church? They have a mind of their own too. And they have to learn things on their own also. And sometimes being raised in the church, now please understand what I'm saying, can be detrimental to your faith. Now, why do I say that? Well, because you have no contrast. There's nothing to compare life with out there. 
You've never lived out there. You don't know what it's like to go hungry. You don't know what it's like to be behind on your bills. You don't know what it's like to have your car repossessed or to lose your home. You, you've never faced any of those things. So the only thing you know is this. And there's that temptation to want to find out what all that's about. So sometimes even if you're raised in a Christian family, you still got to make that journey like the prodigal son did. And hopefully you find out soon enough that you're able to get your feet back on the ground. But we need the Word of God. Paul sat down while he was on his, uh, in Ephesus, excuse me, on the second missionary journey. And he wrote 1 Corinthians, right? But you guys remember that there's one letter missing. So when we study 2 Corinthians, we're, it's really 3 Corinthians, if you will. Some of the people were upset with Paul because he had written to the church and said, you know, you got a man having an affair with his uh, mother-in-law, stepmother, excuse me, with his stepmother. You got a a man having an affair with his stepmother and there's sin going on in here. You guys aren't dealing with it. You need to to take care of this. This needs to be done, this needs to be done, and this needs to be done. Well, how do you feel when someone um, firmly corrects you? There's enough Missouri in me that I rebel. It's like if, I can accept almost anything if you say it kindly, and I know you mean it with good intentions, but if you just crawl down my throat, there's that reaction, that knee-jerk reaction that wants to say, who do you think you are? And that's kind of what happened to Paul. He hit him pretty hard with the things that needed to be done and the things that needed to change. By the way, the man did repent, and he got things squared away, but there were some of them that just, they questioned whether Paul was even an apostle. Remember he says he was a man born out of time? He wasn't amongst, he wasn't, uh, you know, the first order of choice. He wasn't picked amongst those groups. He was added later by the Lord. And so there are those who are going, who are you? <laughs> Who are you to tell us what to do? Now, it's amazing for those of us that have the Word, and we study the Word of God, and we know what's there. We know what Paul has written and what kind of man he was. We know exactly who Paul was. But when you have people here going, well, he wasn't picked amongst the first group. He just came along later. Who is he to tell us what to do? You know what that is? That's that knee-jerk reaction. Don't tell me what to do. So he has to defend himself, and there's three main things he tries to communicate in this letter. He wants to express joy at the church's response because most of them did respond well and this guy had repented. He wants to remind them of their financial commitment to the saints in Jerusalem. The saints in Jerusalem were heavily, heavily persecuted and they had almost nothing. And as we've studied before, the church here in Corinth was a wealthy church. There was lots of trades going through them, and so it was a very wealthy church. And they had committed. Paul didn't twist their arm, but they had committed, and he wants to remind them to be faithful with that. And there, the last one, which I find to be pretty sad, but he has to defend his authority. He has to defend his apostleship. You know, we owe much of our word to Uh, Well, of course, to God, but through Paul. Paul wrote a whole lot of stuff, and here he is. He just doesn't want to, they don't want want him telling them what to do. But, you know, there are this same, there's this same kind of, uh, 
of an attitude in churches, a lot of churches today. And that's that unless you have the proper credentials, you can't even serve in the church. It's true. In a lot of churches, if you don't have your doctorate, you can't be a pastor on any level. Forget if God calls you, it doesn't matter. If you don't have that doctorate, you're not going to be a part. You're not going to pastor. Just as simple as that. And uh, the character of this letter is going to give us deep insight into Paul. Who he is. Who the man himself is. It's corrective, but it's constructive. When people say constructive criticism, what part of that do you hear? Criticism. We don't hear the constructive part of it. And that's why it's kind of difficult for us in those early years of our life. Everything seems like it's, you're doing everything wrong, right? Parents come and try to be corrective and constructive, but all we hear is the corrective part of it, and we think that, man, my parents, they don't want me to have any fun at all. They don't want me to do anything. They want me to be just like them, and I don't want to be just like them. Paul opens himself up in this thing, gives first-hand examples what it means to serve the Lord. He's pictured as a worker. He's pictured in suffering. He's pictured in love. But above, every, but above everything else, he's pictured as the authority of the Lord and as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Pray and we will begin. Father, may you give us the ability to be able to see Jesus all through this. Lord, we're not to worship any man, but we, we can sure follow someone who follows you. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn, to understand what Paul is trying to say. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, this is classic. This is his classic introduction, if you will. Notice he says he's an apostle by the will of God. God willing. You hear people say that all the time, right? The Lord willing. Or as the country folks say, good Lord willing in the creek don't rise. You know, I'll be there. Anything that we find ourselves doing, hopefully, is by the will of God can wash windows by the will of God. God, if this is where you've got me right now, that's noble. That's okay. If you're a mechanic, an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer, it doesn't matter what it is. Hopefully it's by the will of God. And Paul knows that very, very, very well because he was persecuting the church and God took care of him. God interrupted his life. And I pray that God has interrupted your life. And I pray that it's made you a little bit uncomfortable. Because you see, if we're not uncomfortable, that means we enjoy our sin and we're not ready to give it up. But when you come to know Jesus and you realize how much he loves us, how much he's given to us, we start looking and evaluating our life and going, man, I've lived my life so far away from the Lord. So I pray that he has interrupted your life. And he says, to the church which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, With all the saints. Now, I don't know about you guys, but isn't it amazing that Paul calls the Corinthian Christians saints? 
(laughs) Hasn't he been addressing them because of the problems? Because of their issues? Because of their saints? Because of the things that were going on? He calls them saints. Today, we look at saint in a completely different way, don't we? If you come from a Catholic background, you know most of the saints. And some that want to be saints or think they're saints that are not saints, right? But you, you know them because that life was kind of built on those saints. Today, we think that the term saint means super spiritual. If I say Saint Jerry, he's going to, get, he's going to feel awkward. If I say St. Jeff, he's going to feel awkward. You know why? Because in our mind, we have a tendency to think that that means we are without sin. We think that that means we've led a perfect life, that we're super spiritual. But the way the Apostle Paul means it here is that if you are set apart by a relationship of trust in Jesus Christ, as your Savior, you are a saint. Good morning, saints. It's amazing to me, in, uh, in all of these years, it still blows me away that Jesus considers me St. John. It sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> amazing. We are sons of God by election and by, not nature, not by nature. We are sons of God by election. It's not by ancestry, but by adoption. We've been adopted into the family. Adoption has always been an amazing thing for me. You know, when you're you're married and you have kids and you get what you get. It's kind of potluck, you know. And you have two or three kids, they're all going to be different. You know, there's going to be one, you know. But when you adopt, you go pick them out. You, You get to see them, right? You get to see what they do and and who they are. And you say, I want to love that person. I want that person in my life. Yeah, I know they're not perfect. Yeah, I know it's going to be a lot of work. Yeah, I know there's a lot of bad habits that need to be broken. But I want to love them. I want to have them in my life. I think adoption is just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. We are saints by adoption we've been adopted into the family not by right but by redemption haven't we talked about that we've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb by Jesus Christ so as he says this to this church it could just as easily have been to the church in central Phoenix or any other church Okay, look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You might want to make a note there with comfort or even underline it. The God of mercies and the God of all comfort. Verse 4. Who comforts us in all of our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You notice he didn't say God takes away all your tribulation. We like it when he does. But you know, we don't, we don't learn. It would be nice if we learned without a little heat and pressure, but most of us don't. It is often that we learn 
from the trials in life. Things that we could do again, things we should do right the next time. But he's the God of comfort. He'll comfort us in those situations. So folks, I want you to know, no matter what you're going through this morning, there is comfort in the Lord. Whatever you're going through, it may not be taken away. But he will give you comfort in other ways. And hopefully he'll send somebody along that loves you, that's been comforted by the Lord, that will turn around and do their best to give you that comfort that you need. Verse 5, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for our own consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings, which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for our, excuse me, for your consolation and salvation. Did he get that? How can you minister to someone with a broken heart if your heart's never been broken? It's harder, isn't it? How do you minister to someone who's poor if you've never had to do without food? It doesn't mean we should stop trying, but there is a connection when you kind of walk that mile with them. It's difficult to minister to somebody who's been through a divorce if you've never been through a divorce. Yes, you understand the principles. You understand everything you think. But you've never walked that mile. But you can give them the comfort of Jesus. That's the point. You can still give them the comfort of Jesus and give them these scriptures that says God will comfort you. But you've got to put your faith and put your trust in him. Look at verse 7. And our hope for you is steadfast. In other words, it's unmovable, immovable. Because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. What's the consolation? What did we talk about last week? The resurrection. You know, again, I've said this so many times. When you're young, you don't think much about death. Except when a grandma or a grandpa or an aunt or an uncle or a mom and dad passes. You just don't think much about it. In fact, you do everything you can when it comes into your head to push it away. I think that's kind of our human nature. Look at verse 9. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. That resurrection. None of us want to die. Unless you, you need some counseling. I mean, things can get pretty bad. But we hold on to survival. I mean, that's fight to the last breath to survive. That's what we want. But without it, no seed is planted. No tree grows. That's that resurrection. The seed has to die. The seed has, has to be planted. So it's coming for all of us. Some shorter than others. 
Some of you older folks in here, you're starting to read now about a lot of the old musicians that are gone. From Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, David Crosby, he, he passed. Now the young guys are going, what, who? <laughs> but if you turn it around and shared some of your <laughs> bands, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what you were talking about either. But you don't have to be old to pass, do you? All you got to do is have somebody pull in front of you. Or not paying any attention to what you're doing and ram up against somebody else. Death is not limited to age. It can happen at any given time. There in 9, Paul says, we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves. We should not trust in ourselves. What does that mean? You and I are not in charge of life or death. God is. We should never have that kind of control. What would we do with it? It's always amazed me at how the faith healers don't end up in the children's hospitals. They have big tent revivals and stretch legs and take money. But if you had that gift, wouldn't you want to be in the hospital? Would you want to be at children's hospital? Would you want to be going through there and laying hands and praying on every... How incredible that would be to do that and watch the whole, church, the whole hospital empty out. But you see, we can't trust in ourselves because I guarantee you that power would corrupt. Somebody would come along and want to be your manager <laughs> and take 10% of all that you could make. And your face would be on every billboard in the city. And you might say, well, I wouldn't do that. Don't be so sure. Don't be so sure. Okay, verse 10. Who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us, you also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks be given by many persons on your behalf for the gift granted to us through many. That's a lot of words, but he's basically saying, we're really grateful for you. God has come, come to you. Many of you have received Jesus Christ, and we love you. We care about you. And because of the threat of death in Paul's life, he felt that Paul's problem must have been persecution and Paul was persecuted don't don't make any mistake there he was definitely persecuted however the idea of a reoccurring physical malady in his life is probably not a bad choice in that day the Jews could refer to sickness as death and healing as a return to life the use of the present tense in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 4 through 6 and 9 through 10 implied the problem was still with Paul that he still had the problem as he wrote the letter. Some believe that Paul had this problem with his eyes. They would, they would leak. Crust over. <laughs> Probably pretty gross, to be, to be honest with you. How many of you get dry eyes socket? Anybody get dry eyes? Anybody the opposite and get wet eyes? I mean, they're always, they're always water there and you're always wiping them off. Well, multiply that times about 100. Paul suffered from this stuff that was in his eyes. 
And uh, he talks about that thorn in the flesh. And he prayed often that God would take it away. And God didn't take it away. And he told him that my, his grace was sufficient for him. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's hard to take. God, you're a God of comfort. God, you're a God of healing. We know you can heal. We know you can raise the dead. You can do all these things. All I'm praying for you to do is make my eyes quit water. Or make them dry up or heal, whatever it is. And he goes, no. It's easy for us to get angry at God. But one thing I've come to learn through the years of being in the ministry is that God knows you. God knows me to the core. He knows what you can handle and what you cannot handle. He knows whether this would stumble you or not. He knows if this would be too much or that would be too little. And yes, I do believe that out of love, sometimes God puts something in our life that slows us down. But we know that he's a loving God. He doesn't do that to spite you. He doesn't do that to try to ruin you. When you read all the things that Paul went through and all that he's given to us in the word, it would have been easy for Paul to be lifted up, to be puffed up, to think of himself more highly than he should. From every description that I've read, Paul was not an attractive man in any way, short, any way, shape, or form. He's kind of a short, spiny guy. His nose kind of had a crook at the end of it, like, you know, like that. And then that stuff in his eyes. He's not somebody that you would have met and go, oh, you're the Apostle Paul. You know, you just, you just wouldn't have done it. But the way God used him and the things that happened with him, he knew Paul. He knows you and he knows me. So maybe sometimes when we say, God, remove this thing, we should just say, but let your will be done in my life. And don't remove all the things in my life. Just give me a stronger back. Give me the ability to be able to handle the things that you've allowed in my life. Now, did you notice the word comfort or consolation was used ten times in these verses? Ten times. The God of all comfort. Do you know that it is the Hebrew word that they use there, paraclete. Now some of you know that what that word paraclete trans in, uh, translates into. Look at John 14, 26. He says, but the helper, paraclete, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. God promises to deposit the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Now, if you've been to very many churches, that might scare you. Yeah, I've seen some people full of the Holy Spirit and it scares me to death. Right? Or they pretend to be full of the Holy Spirit and it scares me to death. To death. Guys... Jesus is a God of order. Things are to be done decently and in order. You and I were never meant to get through this life without the Holy Spirit, the helper, the paraclete. We were never meant to live this life without him. But he's been misrepresented a whole lot. 
You don't necessarily shake and vomit or fall and have to dance around and you don't, you don't necessarily have to do that. That's not necessarily how the Holy Spirit works all the time. I've been watching a few videos lady, uh, lady, lately and it's insane the stuff that you see. It's, it's like it's like a whole bunch of people took speed and they don't know what to do with themselves. They can't, they can't sit, they can't stand. It's like, it's like they gotta, they got to do something. And in those churches, it's expected that you're full of the Holy Spirit. If you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're supposed to do the things that everybody else is doing. Now, i got to ask you, if someone walks in that's not saved, what will they think? These people are nuts. That's what Paul says. When Paul's talking about speaking in tongues, he goes, you know, they walk in and everybody in your congregation is speaking in tongues. Aren't they going to think you're crazy? And yet he says, don't forbid people to speak in that heavenly language. You see, it's all balanced out in here. It's all balanced out in here. Now, Paul was familiar with suffering. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28, he says, Are you ministers of Christ? He says, I speak as a fool. I am more. In other words, he's saying, I am now going to tell you some of the things I've gone through, but it's not to puff me up. It's to show you how stupid I am, how foolish I am. That's what he's saying. He's saying, so don't lift me up after I tell you these things. He says, in labors, more abundantly. In stripes, above measure. I've been beaten. In prisons more frequently, thrown in jail. In deaths often, under the threat of death. Attempted attempts on his life. Many attempts on his life. And sick. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one, because that was the law. You couldn't give them 40. You had to give them 39. 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and that's not the way the world would take that now. You know, he, he really stoned. You got me? I want to make sure I'm clear here. <laughs> I don't want you to go home and say, you know, the pastor said that one time it's okay in the Bible because somebody was stoned. So that's not what he's saying. Real, real stones. Three times I was shipwrecked, a day and a night in the deep, the water. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, perils of the sea, perils amongst false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, which I think he's referring again to his illness, my deep concern, he also states for all of the churches. He felt responsible for all of those that he had preached the word to. Now, if we look at that, and we see that all Paul went through, you would kind of think, why would anybody go through this if they didn't believe in Jesus Christ? In other words, he's trying to show them, I'm an apostle, and here are the things that I've gone through. Now, I don't know about you, I read all those things, and sometimes I'm a little embarrassed. Because I cry when I have a cold. 
Now, I'm not a good patient. I'm not a very good patient. Again, I've shared this with you. When my wife gets sick, she goes to bed. That's it. She'll come out two or three days later and she's okay. But she doesn't complain about it. She doesn't moan and ache. She doesn't belly. Not me. I mean, honey, would you get me a drink of water? (laughs) Honey, I'm hungry. She knows I'm getting better when that happens. But when I read what Paul's going through, I, I look at that and I go, gosh, I complain about a lot of stuff. I may not say it, but in my head or in my heart, complain about it. And I'm thinking, I haven't, I haven't been through one-tenth of what Paul's been through. But he gets back up. You see, you never fail until you just don't get up the last time. I hear people saying, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. It doesn't matter. You don't fail until you quit. Doesn't matter how many times you fail before. Get back up again. Put your faith and trust in Jesus and let God redeem that and use that for good because now you can comfort a whole lot of people with the things that you've gone through. He had become so familiar with the comforting hand of God in those sufferings. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. Now, we don't feel that way when we're sick, right? When we're sick, we think we're the only ones in the world that's sick. We're the only ones going through that. Poor me. That's just, for some of us, that's our old nature. But there's nothing that can overtake us that's not common to man, he says. But God is faithful. Nothing else can you put your faith in. That's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and always will be. There is nobody else you can put your faith in that will keep their promises. There's no one else you can put your faith in that will promise you to live after you die. Eternal life. Nobody else, because they can't fulfill it. But Jesus is faithful. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Now, when you're sick, you think that that Right on the edge. Right? Lord, I'm dying. And if you don't do something, I'm going to die. We think that we're right on the edge in another couple seconds. You know, we're going to go. Since we are not tempted, we'll be allowed, we will not be tempted beyond what we are able but he sure seems like it sometimes. Now he goes on to say, but with that temptation will also may a way, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, when you see that, you're going, escape. I like that. I like that. I can get behind that word escape, That's especially when I'm sick. You realize that that means a way through it without sinning. A way to get through it, to bear it, because of Jesus. Jesus will give you what you need to be able to bear it. All right. Look at verse. Yeah, let's go to 12, verse 2 and 4. All right. Excuse me. What am I doing? I got my scriptures all wrong here. 112. Anyway, here we go. For our boasting, try verse 12. For our boasting 
is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and more abundantly towards you. In other words, he's saying, we didn't make a big display, we came in humbly, we shared Jesus with you, but that's not the way of the church today, is it? We've got to have, you know, smoke machines and, and lighting and, I mean, everything just has to be absolutely perfect. And I shared with you last week, a lot of churches, you can't be a part of the worship team if you're over 40. So they, they pick out a, a demographic that they want to be able to show up and then they tailor everything towards it. And, uh, you know, I, I have heard some worship teams that would just blow your mind good. But as a musician, I couldn't concentrate on the worship. A musician listens to music in a completely different way than the person who has no desire towards music. You don't just listen to it as a song. You hear the bass. You hear the drums. You hear every piece of the drum set. You hear the main vocal, you hear the harmony parts, you hear whether there are harmony parts. You hear the bass part, you hear the keyboards. You hear it all and then you pick it apart <laughs> then you say well this is too loud this is too soft in other words you become an instant sound man right but for most people they just hear it and they're able to worship now that might be my fault but in those situations I couldn't worship because it seemed like more of a polished show band than it just did folks who love the Lord and doing the best that they can Paul's saying that we came to you in that kind of simplicity. And guys, so should the gospel. So should the gospel. So should church. Okay, for, for verse 13. I'm tongue-tied today. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end. As also you have understood us in part. That we are your boast as you are ours. You know, if Pastor Dan or myself or any other teacher has blessed you in any way or taught you anything, you may love your church, you may love your pastor, but your pastor loves you. It's a two-way two thing. You guys are our boast, too, to see growth, to see change, to see your kids doing well. To see you doing well in the Lord. This is what Paul's saying. He says, we love you guys. I wasn't able to make it when I thought I was going to make it. But I meant to. My heart was good on that. And we love you guys. He says, and in this confidence I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit. To pass by way of you to Macedonia. And to come again from Macedonia to you. To be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there should be a yes, yes, and a no, no? That's called a double-minded man, right? Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. We have a hard time with that today. People like to keep their options open. Right? Hey, am I going to see you on Saturday? Yeah. 
Have you tried to hire somebody to do something lately? Or do you own a small business where you're trying to get workers? And they say, yeah, I'll be there. Or you call them, want an estimate. You know what, you come out, I'll be there on whatever. They don't show. It's weird, isn't it? I mean, how long does it take to get on the phone and say, hey, you know, something's come up. I'm really sorry. We move it to the next day. You put an ad in the paper to sell something. Right? Someone calls you and say, yeah, I want it. I'll be over to get it. Or even worse, they say, hey, let's meet at the Target up on the corner. And you go up there and sit there for 10, 15 minutes. And they never show up. Paul says, I'm not like that. He says, I'm doing my best to follow the Lord. And when I say yes, I've prayed about it before I said yes. And as I've said yes, I mean yes. And if I say no, I mean no. And like I said, things come up. Things, things do change, but just a call can change all of that to say, hey, something's come up, I can't do it. He goes, I don't take this lightly. I'm not a yes and a no man. I'm a, I'm a yes man when I, when I promise. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me or by us, Sylvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. You and I make mistakes, but God doesn't. Paul's trying to say here, I'm human. Something come up. I wasn't able to do it, but it wasn't intentional. Don't doubt my apostleship. Don't doubt, doubt my integrity because this happened. Because I didn't mean for it to happen. It was beyond my circumstances. I could not change it. Verse 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ has also anointed us in God who also has sealed us and given us a spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. There's that Holy Spirit. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit resides in you. That's that quiet conscience that tells you when you know you're doing something wrong. Oh, we, have, we ignore it a lot of times. But he's still there to guide that. Okay, in 23, moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth because you didn't want to have to get after him anymore there for a while. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but we are fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. Guys, by faith we stand. What faith? Nowadays, if you go to a church and you go forward to be healed, they lay hands on you, knock you over, and then you have the same thing the next day. If you go back, what are they going to tell you? You didn't have enough faith. It's your fault. You didn't have enough faith. The thief on the cross had very little faith that day. God saved him because he put his trust in the Lord. It's by faith. Guys, it's not faith in your faith. A lot of the churches try to convince you you've got to have faith in your faith. That the reason you're not getting your answers to your promises is because you don't have enough faith. 
Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say when he was about ready to give up his entire life? He said, Father, not my will, but what? Let your will be done. Faith is not just going to a church and praying and getting everything you want. That's popular. And there's, there's big, big congregations because we like hearing that stuff. But that's, but that's not right. My faith is in Jesus. One way or the other, Father, thy will be done. If you choose to heal me, man, praise the Lord, I will be up dancing. But if you choose to not do that, give me the strength to face it. Give me the ability to face it without questioning that you're a good God. Without taking a step back and saying, you know, is he really God? Why didn't he give me what I wanted? You know what that's equivalent to? You're a two-year-old on the floor, kicking and screaming because he didn't get the cookies that he thought he was going to get. And when you said, this is not good for you, I can't give you that right now. You're the worst parent in the world. Okay. And he says, uh, let me back up to verse 2 there. So if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes you glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? In other words, Jesus is everything. He says, I didn't mean to make you sorrowful, but if it's something you need to change, change it. And I wrote this very thing to you, at least when I came. I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of all of you. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you, with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Paul's telling them, I love you guys. I never meant to hurt you in any way. Never meant to hurt you in any way. It's sad that he has to defend himself. He had no evil intentions. He loved them. It just didn't work out that way. Have you ever had good intentions and it just didn't work out? Have you ever tried your best to do your best and then somebody accused you of something that wasn't true? They misjudged you or misjudged your character? There were those that didn't care much for the Apostle Paul, but they didn't want to care much for the Apostle Paul. We have a world right now that is angry. We have a world right now that hates Christians. It's been that way from the beginning. It's just gotten more intense. You know why? Because you have hope and they can't take it away from you. Doesn't matter what they do to you, you have hope and they can't take it away from you. It doesn't matter what they threaten you with because you know you have eternal life. That's power. That's power and they can't stand that. Satan, God's enemy, loves fear. And he loves to lie and steal and to hurt people, but that is not God's will. 
He is a loving God, but that love comes from us accepting Him as our Lord and our Savior. So basically, if you go on through um, 2 Corinthians 5-13, through 13, so it's, it's Him again sharing what He meant to do and wasn't able to do it. But He kind of brings that attention back to that guy that was messing around when he shouldn't with his stepmother. Now I'm going to read you this and we're going to close in 2 Corinthians 2 verses 14 through 17. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Do you get that? Now please understand here when it says he leads us in triumph in Christ. You can't leave in Christ out of it. And a lot of the, the, the faith teachers and the prosperity teachers, they'll just leave God out of that. They'll just, he wants you to live in triumph. He wants you to live in perfect health and perfect wealth. And you got to get up every morning and look yourself in the mirror and say, I am this and I am that. And you got to write down your promises and say, I'm somebody. And you got to continue to, you got to visualize it. If you visualize it, it'll, it'll happen. That's kind of a little hocus pocus, don't you think? I'd rather put my faith in Jesus. I, we don't know how to pray as we ought, right? There's times we don't know how to pray. I'd rather trust Jesus. But you notice he says that Christians put off a fragrance. <laughs> Some more than others. <laughs> but he's talking about the fragrance of Jesus. That's a different kind of fragrance. People can almost smell if you are a Christian. And he says in 15, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ amongst those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. Both. To one we are the aroma of death, leading to death. That's why people hate you. That's why people hate Christians. Because they know they're headed to a grave without God. Not all of them do. But a lot of them have no hope. All they've got is this world. And they're grabbing as much of it as they can. Because they're not going to live in eternity with God. They're going to live somewhere else. Separated from God. So. Christians are the aroma of life. It says the other. The aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God. We speak in the sight of God in Christ. What fragrance are we putting off? I don't mean your aftershave or your deodorant. What kind of fragrance are we putting off? Are we putting off that fragrance of God? That when you walk in someplace, God feel, I mean, people feel something different? They may be offended by it, or they may embrace it, but they feel something different. The words that we say, does it give people hope? What kind of fragrance are we? We are the fragrance of life to people who will listen to Jesus Christ. But we're the fragrance of death for those who don't want to turn. And some of you may be here this morning and you're not sure. You're not sure that you're saved. You're hesitant to give your life to Jesus Christ. That's okay. I was too. Everybody, I think, probably here that would raise their hand and say they're born again Christians would tell you that they were hesitant also. But you got, your, you got to ask yourself, why? Why am I so hesitant? 
Why am I so unwilling to listen? Why am I so willing to, to uh, do the research? Why am I so unwilling to learn and to grow and at least hear the side of this? It's so many times we write the book report and we've never read the book. And you see people all the time, I've seen people online and say, well, I've read the Bible. And I said, all of it? Well, <laughs> that's a big book. Yeah, it is. But how can you pass judgment on it if you haven't read it? How can you write the book report if you haven't read it? So guys, I want to encourage you. Like Paul was trying to do to the church. I want to encourage you. Jesus can be your comfort in all of this. I want to encourage you to lay down your old life. Give it up. You're not giving up anything, really, are you? Well, I may have to quit doing this, or I may have to quit doing that. Is it really benefiting you all that much? Well, I'll have to, you know, I'll have to be subservient to God. Is that such a, have you done such a great job so far by being your own man or your own woman? Has life turned out to be what you wanted it to be? Maybe give God a chance. Like a good pastor. The Apostle Paul comforted them with the comfort that he had received from God. Reassured his love for them, encouraged them to forgive and move on. They were really laying it hard on this guy that had repented, right? Paul had written the letter, he had repented. He changed his life. But there were those who would not forgive. Guys, we've got to forgive. Now... I will agree, the deeper the cut, the more severe the wound, forgiveness can come a little slower. But as someone once told me, you have to forgive. You have to forgive because that's what Jesus would do. So forgive whoever it is that you've got whatever against. Let them off the hook you will find you can breathe a whole lot easier. And that victory is ours in the Lord, guys. Let's pray.